You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. I wonder, have you ever had the experience of going to watch, say, a football match or a rugby match or anything where there's a crowd of spectators? And you don't get a very good view of what is going on because as they, well, you can see the wee fella behind the legs on the picture on the screen. Uh, to use the words that I'm going to use as a title for this sermon this evening, you are stuck behind the big man. I wonder if you ever had that experience. How irritating it is to be uh, that some tall person or someone in the crowd in front of you with no consideration at all uh, for you or if you have children with you, they, they refuse to move and you can't see around them. And if you're a weak creator like me, you will know how annoying it is to be stuck behind a big man. As a child, I used to think like that in church, sitting down near the back and you're peering round some maybe elderly lady with a big fashionable hat like a satellite dish and you couldn't see and really it was irritating or if it's back to the football match you hear the cheering you hear the noise you can sense that your team is winning or losing whatever it happens to be but all you can wonder is what's happening because you're stuck behind someone who obscures your view. So let this be a lesson to all of us. Be considerate of those who have lesser stature. They might want to see what's going on as well. Now, all that introduction being said, we're going to have a reading from the Gospel of Luke that mirrors that scenario. You've guessed it. I told you it this morning. It is, of course, the story of Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19. Let's read the first 10 verses of the stage. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Stuck behind the big man. So he ran ahead, we're told, verse 4, and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too 
is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's look at that passage for a few moments this evening. Zacchaeus gets a bad press. And I kind of feel a wee bit sorry for him at times because there was no effort whatsoever to allow this wee man to get to the front row of the crowd. Nobody cared a hoot about him. After all, he was just Zacchaeus. He was the civil servant who worked for the government. He was the income tax man. Are there any income tax people in church this evening? Lovely people. <laughs> but, of course, Zacchaeus was not only the income tax man. As we know, he was a bit of a cheat. And he, he pocketed, he, he, he took what he was required to take, but as we know, he, he, he got a bit more, and the bit more was where he lined his own pocket. So therefore, he was not a popular figure in the area. And after all, why would you make room for Zacchaeus of all people to get to the front row, at the most important, I won't say seat, but the most important place in the crowd? Now, before we examine that story, that is obviously very well known, just think about our reactions to people. Maybe even people we don't see eye to eye with all that well. Would we go out of our way to inconvenience ourselves to facilitate them in some way, not least in coming to Jesus? Or perhaps we wouldn't say it out loud, but would we be thinking, why would they want anything to do with the faith anyway? Who cares about that? I've lived long enough to know that attitude still exists in parts of the countryside. To use the phrase that irritates me intensely, he's not one of us. Now, that's just exactly what the people would have been thinking. He's not really one of us. Why would we bother making room for Zacchaeus? He was not one of the popular folk there that day. But here's an important point. He was the one person, the one person, that Jesus directly engaged with, hiding up a tree in the branches, and Jesus' eyes went straight up to him and said he must, uh, he, he wanted a conversation with him. Now, I know the children's song, I must come to your house for tea. Well, they didn't drink tea in those days. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Uh, verse 5, I must stay at your house today. So what's the lesson then? Just be careful the next time you're standing beside someone. Or maybe sitting beside someone, maybe even in church someday sitting beside someone. There could be a whole lot more going on in that person's mind than you think. God might just want you to speak to that person, no matter who he is, even if he is the income tax inspector. Zacchaeus stuck behind the big people in the crowd long ago. Now, one of the first things we see in this well-known story is this. And the slide tells us, no one is too bad to be saved. 
No one is too bad to be saved. This is a reminder that nobody is beyond the power of God's grace. We have that, of course, we should know that as we think of Jesus on the cross between the two thieves, two of the, I'm sure, the, probably the greatest rascals. Uh, no one is too bad to be saved. But here in, in Luke 19, Luke records for us the story of the wealthy tax collector who became the disciple of Christ. It's the story, you could say, of a covetous business official transformed into a generous Christian. And when I think of that, no one is too bad to be saved. There's hope for everybody. Isn't that a lovely thing? There's hope for everybody. The gospel is not just for middle-class Presbyterians. There's hope for everybody, of every denomination and none, of every type, of every color and race and creed. No one is too bad to be saved. You know, sometimes today, people get awful news from their doctor that they are incurable, and that's a very difficult and sad the thing that nobody, nobody wants to hear. Some affliction that afflicts their body is incurable. But you know, there are no incurable cases with the gospel of Jesus. And that's wonderful. There are no incurable cases. And that should be a real beacon of hope to every perishing soul. No incurable cases. Consider the passage with us for a few moments. First of all, his anxiety. His anxiety. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. He wasn't just content to hear about him or to hear about him from a distance, but he actually wished to see for himself with his own eyes. He desired to know him. He desired to find out for himself who Jesus was. This was more than curiosity. We would say today God's Spirit was working in his heart. He didn't know it. He desired to see Jesus. And in so doing, he was prepared to do an odd thing. A very odd thing for a grown man, particularly in those days. He climbed a tree like a teenager. I wonder how many of you men could climb a tree. I'm happy enough to be able to climb those, with a bad knee, up those steps to get up here when I wouldn't attempt to climb a tree. It was not the done thing. That's the th young people do. It was not the done thing for a professional man, a businessman, a civil servant to climb up on a tree to, 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 to look. It just didn't happen. And that shows you his anxiety. He wanted to see who Jesus was. And then verse 5. His difficulty, verse 3 says, his, his difficulty. Being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. He was stuck behind the crowd. He was a chief tax collector. Now, this, his shortness of stature wasn't the only difficulty that he had. Uh, really, he was wealthy. But he was wealthy at the expense of other people's poverty. And you know, everybody likes a few pounds. We all need a few pounds. But let's be honest and practical. Zacchaeus was wealthy, but he wasn't happy. 
And wealth doesn't bring happiness, and you know that. We see that on, on our televisions. We hear of these film stars and, and the incredible wealth that they have. They're not one bit happier than any of the rest of us. Zacchaeus was wealthy, but he wasn't happy. He had an abundance of things, but his heart was empty. And another thing, he, he lived in a city, but he was lonely. He had no friends. You know, I have often spoken about this, particularly young people. One of the greatest blessings I've had in life was to have good friends, good Christian friends. Friends from school days, from the Royal School and in our Scripture Union and so on. And those are some of my best friends 50 more years later on. Zacchaeus, I get the impression, had no friends. Oh, he was wealthy, but he had no friends. All the wealth in the world doesn't make up for a friend or satisfy uh, an empty heart or save a soul. And then, like so many people today, he was living for the present world. All he was interested in was getting that bit of money, extra bit of money, and he put it in his pocket. But he had no resources for the next. He put all his resources into living for the, pre for the present world and he made no serious preparation for the next. Sadly, that was 2,000 years ago. But you know, there are more people in the world like that today than would like to admit. I wonder, do you see yourself anywhere in this story of Zacchaeus? Is God saying to you something? I don't know what that something is. Is there something that you can take out of that? Say, that's me. I suppose that Zacchaeus thought he was hid from view up in that tree. After all, why would people look up? They were looking for Jesus. They were interested in what Jesus... They were looking around for Jesus. They weren't... They shouldn't have been, you would have thought, interested in looking up onto a tree to see who was hiding. And why was he hiding there? He wanted to see from a distance. He wanted to see from a distance. We need to learn not to keep Jesus at a distance. And that's exactly what a lot of people do these days, not get too involved. Well, just a nodding acquaintance of respectability with a church from time to time, but a stubborn refusal to accept commitment with the church, or a stubble, stubborn refusal to accept him as Lord and Savior, or maybe a stubborn refusal to get involved in helping or doing something. See, the church needs workers. People like to keep Jesus and the faith at a distance, at a convenient distance, not to uh, kind of change our lifestyle very much and finish our course in a lost eternity. Please seek the Lord while he is to be found. Don't try to keep him at a distance. He died for you and he died for me. And he wants us to unashamedly live for him and trusting him. Well, the story continues. His difficulty was his height. And all the difficulties too. But then comes his call and his obedience in verse 5. Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down. I venture to suggest to you that probably never in his life had Zacchaeus felt more conspicuous than he did at the moment 
when Jesus looked up and, and noticed them and said, Zacchaeus, come down. No longer standing obscure behind the, the crowd or up on the tree, his eye, all eyes were on him, just like the eyes of an owl. Boys and girls, do you know what an owl looks like? You do. An owl has big, big eyes. And when I think of the eyes of an owl, I think of that verse which says, Thou God seest me. God is looking. And God sees all we do. Well, Zacchaeus found that, that the eyes of Jesus were focused directly on him and on him alone. And Zacchaeus must have thought to himself, He sees me. And then he probably thought, he knows me. He knows my name. And then later he realized, he loves me. And of course he realized, he wants me. He sees me. He knows me. He loves me. And he wants me. And that prompted the action, the response, that Zacchaeus decided that day, he can have me. He can have me. Well, that day, of course, was the, we call the conversion of Zacchaeus. It was a very definite moment in time. And Zacchaeus made a conscious choice and decision to come and to give himself to Jesus. And that's very important for all of us. We may not be up a tree or down a well. We may not be cheats and tax collectors or anything like that. I hope we're not. But the same thing applies. We need to come. Isn't it strange how blessings come from the most unexpected things? If Zacchaeus had been a tall man, he would never have climbed the tree. He may never have had that experience that is recorded that day in Luke chapter 19. You see, the physical hindrance that he had led to one of his greatest blessings. I could give you an example of that. When I went to, as I did for a couple of years, in Ochnachloy Secondary School, there was, some there was a misdemeanor where some guys had got in the boys' toilets a long time ago, and there was a radiator up high in pipes, and some guys had, had pulled it down. And, of course, there was an inquiry about it, and all the boys were summoned. But those of us who were small guys, we were excused. There was some blessing sometimes in that. And I'm suggesting to you this evening that really Secure's hindrance was the very means to his blessing. He would never have climbed the tree otherwise, I'm sure. He went up the tree a fearful sinner. And after that conversation with Jesus, he came down the tree a willing saint. And I use that in the, in the biblical sense of the word, a follower of Jesus. Those who are anxious to be saved are never far from the kingdom. The conversion of Zacchaeus, the wee man in the crowd who just couldn't see. But I have one more point that I want you to look at very carefully and sometimes maybe a bit overlooked in this well-known story. We have seen that he was a man in need of repentance. He was a man who experienced repentance, but he was a man who demonstrated the fruit of repentance. 
he demonstrated the fruits of repentance and the changed life in verse 8. And that is where the rubber hits the road. It's okay to say and to believe. It's very important to say and to believe. Yet thou shalt confess with thy mouth and so on. But to demonstrate where the rubber hits the road. This was not just a kind of a, well, I call it a words-only conversion. Because that day, in full view of all the people who didn't trust him, all the people who would have probably doubted uh, this new relationship with Jesus, Zacchaeus made a very bold statement about changes in his lifestyle from that day on. Now the Bible doesn't tell us any more about Zacchaeus. I'm afraid, wouldn't we love to know what happened in later time? We're not told that. But clearly, he demonstrated the outward change of repentance in outward ways. Uh, he says, look, Lord, he said, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And then he promised to pay back four times the amount to anyone he had cheated, which really shows you how very wealthy he was that he could have done such a thing. But you know, doing that didn't save him. But what it did was it showed the reality of a change of life and ownership. And it showed that he was starting to move in a totally different track from that day on. That's what conversion is. Change of direction. A greedy crook becomes a generous contributor. A grabber becomes a giver. A community liability now becomes a servant of God. A servant of money becomes a servant of God. This is not only a gospel story of conversion, from which we need to take note and apply to ourselves, but as I've said, it's a challenge to every believer. And I know a number, great number of you are, are believers here tonight. It's a challenge to every believer to demonstrate in practical ways the result of living a godly Christian life. That is a most important thing to do. There's nothing more off-putting to the man on the street than to hear him profess and then to show, live a life, something that is totally and entirely different. That day, the people saw with their own eyes and they heard with their own ears evidence of a change of life and lifestyle. I wonder what people say or think as they look at your lifestyle or mine, those of us who profess faith. Is there anything that, that you know, really sets us apart as a marker that, to show that it matches the faith that we profess? And I throw out that challenge to you this evening. What a great day it turned out for Zacchaeus. Climbed up a tree because he was stuck in the crowd behind some big people. It was a life-changing moment. And you know, we all need life-changing moments. And then we all need to display the practical outworking of a transformed life. May God teach us and apply his word to our hearts this evening. Amen.